Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to investigate the Scriptures with us for the next few moments as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' famous and favorite topic, what he called the Gospel or Good News about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that Jesus' basic message, his message of salvation, the message by which he galvanized others into activity, the message which attracted others to him, those whom he asked to follow him, the message which caused all of that activity in Galilee in the first century and promoted the Christian faith from its very start, that message was called the gospel about the kingdom of God. This is a fact that you can ascertain most easily for yourself by simply turning to the recorded accounts of Jesus' ministry, found, for example, in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. You read there that Jesus inaugurated his public mission by coming into Galilee after John the Baptist had been put in prison and saying that God's gospel was his major concern. He came as a bearer of God's good news, and that good news was simply this, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in that gospel. Do you realize that Jesus was the first promoter and instigator of the gospel of the kingdom? that the Christian gospel begins with Jesus himself. Actually, to be quite precise, it began with the one who introduced Jesus, and that was John the Baptist. If you turn to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, you'll see that John the Baptist inaugurated his mission with exactly the same message as Jesus brought, namely that the kingdom of heaven was at hand and that everyone is to repent in view of that stupendous good news about the coming of the kingdom of heaven in the future. Jesus and John were one in the oracle which they brought to the public. By divine revelation they announced the two destinies laid before mankind, either to be gathered as the good wheat into that future kingdom of God, or to be rejected from the kingdom when it came, and to be eliminated and eradicated from life, to be destroyed, in fact, in the fire of Gehenna. Now, that simple proposition that John the Baptist and Jesus laid out before their audiences the possibility of two destinies, living forever or being destroyed, can be demonstrated quite easily from Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, we read this. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came heralding or preaching in the wilderness of Judea. That was an area, of course, just west of the north part of the Dead Sea. And John the Baptist's message was as follows, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We were pointing out last time that the kingdom of heaven was not a nebulous idea at all. No herald comes to make a public announcement knowing that he's going to confuse his audience. The kingdom of heaven was well known as a term of magnificent importance and interest to the people in Judea in the first century, in first century Palestine. The kingdom of heaven idea was derived from the message of the prophets of Israel, who had constantly announced that God was going to intervene to set up his kingdom in replacement of all the wicked kingdoms of mankind. You'll find that in Daniel 2, verse 44, where the God of heaven is going to cause his kingdom to supersede all present nation states. Daniel 2, and verse 44. And, of course, the whole of the context of that chapter should be read carefully. Now, in Daniel 7, 27, we find the same kingdom mentioned, 
and it's going to be under the whole heaven, and it's going to be in the hands of Messiah, the Son of Man, and the saints. The saints of the Most High are given a dominion there, or a kingdom, in Daniel 7, verse 27, which is going to last forever. That, naturally enough, is the kingdom of heaven. If the God of heaven sets up a kingdom, Daniel 2.44, then that's called the kingdom of heaven. I hasten to point out that it's not a kingdom in heaven, it's a kingdom provided by heaven, coming from heaven, and having the authority of heaven to back it, and that kingdom is going to do away with all present man-made kingdoms, and it will last forever. Now, John the Baptist came announcing the near approach or the arrival in the future of that kingdom of heaven. And in view of that staggeringly important news, people were to repent and reorientate their lives towards this new prospect, the coming in the future, at a time unknown, I might add, of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Now, further information is given about that kingdom of heaven event by John the Baptist in verse 7 of Matthew 3. When John the Baptist saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming in response to his call for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So the announcement of the kingdom of heaven in verse 2 involves the coming of the future wrath of God. And he urged them, therefore, to change their lifestyles, to do a complete U-turn in thinking and conduct in order to be acceptable in the kingdom when it came. John went on to urge this repentance in the most uncompromising terms possible. In verse 10 he said, The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I, John the Baptist, baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me, and he's referring there to Jesus, of course, is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. And John then goes on to lay before the people a choice of two destinies. His winnowing fork, referring to the Messiah, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he, the Messiah, will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Ultimate annihilation and destruction is promised to the wicked, and a successful entrance as wheat into the barn of the kingdom of God is guaranteed to those who follow John's and Jesus' instructions, who repent and turn around and live the rest of their lives in the service of God and in pursuit of the kingdom of God. Remember that Jesus himself later said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and all of its righteousness and all these other things, the necessities of life and so on, will be added to you. And so the challenge set before the people by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel as it fell from the lips of Jesus Christ, is utterly clear. The kingdom of heaven is coming. Get ready for the kingdom. It's like a gold medal at the end of the race. We must embark upon the race now, we must run the race successfully, and if we do, under the grace of God, we will be acceptable in the kingdom of God when it comes. That's the simple scheme laid out here at the beginning of the New Testament, and that's the messianic scheme which in fact underlies the entirety of the New Testament and in fact the whole of the Bible. The rest of the New Testament is simply commentary on this issue and challenge of making it into the kingdom of being granted admittance into the kingdom when it comes 
at the return of Jesus Christ, which of course still lies in the future to us. That's why this message is timeless and important. The same gospel message challenges us every time these words of Jesus are read aloud. The living word of God is still with us, recorded in the pages of the Bible, and the invitation to a successful entrance into the kingdom of God when Christ returns is now laid before each one of us in every generation. Let us now ask the question, what is it that Jesus is inviting us to with his gospel of the kingdom message? Well, he's setting before us the opportunity of becoming a co-ruler in that future kingdom of God. The promise of Jesus to his followers is not to play a harp on a cloud in some super-celestial region. It's to rule with him in the kingdom on the earth when Jesus returns. One of the most important passages describing that future rule of Christ is the passage in Revelation 20 dealing with what's called the millennium. Millennium simply means a thousand years. It's a period of time in which Jesus and the saints will govern the world in a new world order of peace and prosperity. In order to get the context of this famous passage in Revelation 20, verses 1 to 6, we should briefly comment on the 19th chapter of Revelation, beginning where we find the Word of God appearing. Jesus, of course, is the Word of God as being the full expression of the will of his Father who is God. In that sense, then, Jesus manifests the very mind and power of God himself. Now, as Jesus appears in this scene in Revelation 19, it is said that he's going to smite the nations and rule them with a rod of iron. And then we see the beast, that final oppressing tyrant, that epitome of Satan's activity, ranged against the Messiah as he appears. In verse 19 of Revelation 19, we read that the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against Messiah, the one sitting upon the horse, and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped the image and these two, that's to say, the beast and the false prophet, were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. And following this mighty event of the arrival of Jesus in power and glory to destroy his enemies and set up his kingdom, we have the millennial passage described in Revelation 20. Now, the very fact that that millennial passage follows the description of the arrival of Jesus in power and glory should tell us that the millennium is something lying in the future, the millennium does not precede the coming of Christ. It follows the coming of Christ. That's why the doctrine of premillennialism, a daunting term perhaps and difficult to pronounce, should not frighten us into not studying these issues. Premillennialism simply declares that Jesus has to return pre or before the millennium in order to establish the millennium. Premillennialism means before the millennium. That's to say, Christ is going to come back before the millennium, showing, of course, that the millennium cannot be synonymous with life now in the present age. The millennium is not the church in action now. The millennium is positively not a symbol for all of these centuries which have elapsed since the death of Jesus. No, the millennium is the time following the arrival of Christ in glory, the time when the devil is going to be bound, as we shall see, and the saints, the dead and the living, the dead then having been raised to life, will reign with Christ as kings for a thousand years. 
Reading on now from the end of the 19th chapter of Revelation. And of course, you remember there are no chapter breaks in the original Greek texts. It's very misleading to suppose that there's a huge gap or a huge change of subject as between 19.21 and the first verse of chapter 20 of Revelation. In Revelation 20, verse 1, we read this, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, to say the Genesis serpent, the ancient serpent, who is the devil, that's his Greek name, the Yavalos, and Satan, that's his Hebrew name, Hebrew equivalent name, Hasatan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, I hope you're not amongst those who think that the devil has already been bound. This text here in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 3 says that the devil is to be bound at this point in the story so that he can no longer deceive the nations. I have to tell you that Satan is very busy at present deceiving the nations. You read that in Revelation 12 verse 9. He is the deceiver of the nations at the point of the story described in Revelation 12 verse 9. But here in a subsequent chapter, in chapter 20, we're told that the devil is to be bound and chained so that he can no longer deceive the nations. It must be obvious then that the time when he can no longer deceive the nations still lies in the future, and thus the millennium also lies in the future. Our time is running out for today. We ask you to request from us our free book on the kingdom of God for your personal study at home. Join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.